this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Downtown West Cinema 8, located at 1640 Downtown West Boulevard. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. I love Angela in the office. I, I tell you, uh, it was really a tough work week when I told Emily, can you find me a clip from The Office that we can use? And she was like, wait, I have to work by watching The Office? Tough job. Somebody had to do it. I, I love that Jesus is not your caterer, right? If you've ever seen the show, you know that uh, her, her character in the show is one that is always right, but oftentimes in a really mean way. Like she has this religious air of being better than everybody else and this need to let them know how much she's better than them. If you've never seen the show, I enjoy it, but I won't endorse it from the stage. There are things that are wonderful and things that are not, but here's what I'll say about it. Don't be her, all right? But unfortunately, we've all been her at times. Because maybe it's not the religious air of needing to just show everybody that I'm slightly better than them. Maybe it's something else. Like, I know my opinion is not an opinion, but based on fact. And I need you to believe that my facts are the most important facts. I've heard it said before, and maybe you've heard it too. When it comes to marriage, you can either be right or you can be happy. You choose. All right? There's this reality that we each want to be right. Nobody wants to be wrong. And sometimes in insisting on being right, we end up being really wrong. And insisting on telling everybody what we know or telling them what we believe or telling them how great our ideas are, we forget to actually love those people and in turn become really, really wrong. Today, as we are in this series, Letters from God, we're looking at God speaking to his church through the Apostle John. We're looking at this uh, reality that God wasn't content being distant, but gave him a very real vision and said, here, write this down that my people can hear from me. And over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to look at these letters that he was to write to the churches. There are seven churches that John is to write to in the book of Revelation. And seven is the number of perfection. So we can imagine that when Jesus is speaking to John, hey, write to each of these churches, He's saying, by extension, write to the church in all places at all times. This is what I have for them. By way of these specific churches, by way of their example, let me tell you of what's to come. Now, I mentioned last week that the book of Revelation is this vision John has, the last remaining apostle, the last one who was alive to witness all that Jesus did. And he has this vision where he sees some pretty crazy, terrifying things. Then all of this book is to tell us about who Jesus is, 
namely that he is the crucified one who is risen from the dead, who reigns forevermore as king of kings. And what does it look like as king over this world? So this is the book of Revelation. Well, this message to the church then to prepare for who this Jesus is seven times is repeated. You guys are doing something right and you're doing something wrong. Repent. See, before we go anywhere further in this message, you have to hear this word that most of us don't like to hear. Repent. You and I are guilty of things that are against God's word against his will. You and I are guilty of things that actually cause us harm and cause harm to other people. So we're called to repent. Before we can look at this king of kings and before we can begin to understand who he is, you need to know this. It begins with repentance. And then there's this promise. And every one of these letters that is written, there's this call to repent of something And then there's this promise. If you do that, here's what you will get. Here's what happens when you repent. Today in this first letter from God, we're going to begin in Revelation chapter 2. And he's writing to a church that maybe you're familiar with. He writes to the church in Ephesus. Have you ever heard of the city of Ephesus? Maybe you've read the book in the Bible called Ephesians an entire letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. All right, so before we go into this too far, let's just read this letter out loud. You guys don't have to read it aloud. I will for you, all right? To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance. How you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Anybody confused? A couple of you. Thanks for being honest. Let's unpack that. He begins in verse 1. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Angel literally means messenger. So to the messenger who's delivering this, But in the book of Revelation, angel, the word almost always is connected to spiritual beings. In other places, angel is sometimes used to refer to any messenger. But here, these beings from God who are coming on behalf of God throughout this whole book, John experiences these angels and he like freaks out and he bows down like, no, 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 don't worship me. 
And we can tell the difference between the messenger who is an angel or the one who is God. Because anytime John bows down before an angel, they're like, don't worship me, worship him. But anytime he bows down and worships before God, God's just like, all right, and moves on. Doesn't really acknowledge it one way or the other. So if you're reading in here and John starts to praise somebody who's like, don't, don't do that. It's because it's a messenger from God to reveal this. So this angel to the church in Ephesus write this, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. In the previous chapter in the introduction, John in his vision, he sees these seven golden lampstands and these seven stars. And he's like, what is this all about? And then the one who is this one who, who has eyes like fire, who has a, a two-edged sword in his mouth, this really dis- depicted or descriptive one that we talked about as being Jesus. He says that he's the one who holds the stars in his hand, that he's the one who holds these seven lampstands, which are the church in his hand. So here at the start of this letter, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. This letter is being identified as from God. This is Jesus to his people. Now, if Jesus wrote a letter to you and me, and I were to stand up here and read it to you, would you listen? I hope so. Because nothing I say matters if it's about me or my ambition. But what he says is kind of a big deal. And this is what he says. Verse 2, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. Look, I know how hard it is. You guys have worked really, really diligently to seek what is right and what is true. When people come saying, I have a message from the Lord, you've worked really, really hard to say, is this actually God? Or is this just a load of garbage? You've worked really, really hard when people come with all kinds of promises or all kinds of complaints, all kinds of warnings of things to come. Is this really God or is it not? God actually celebrates. He says, look, I know how hard you've worked. It's not been easy to come to the truth. Now, for you and me, we don't have the same struggle sometimes, right? Like, we don't have to figure out what's right and wrong. It's really simple. If we read it online, it's always right. Oh, wait. It says, look, you guys have been working really, really hard to test the truth, to know good from bad, to know what is me and what is not. I don't think he'd say that about us today. Maybe, though. Oftentimes, instead, we kind of have this attitude that's like, well, if it fits my narrative, it must be right. Right? Like these people were really diligent. I want to honor God and I want to know Him. So I'm going to test everything. And that's good. We could probably learn from that and test a few things ourselves. But then He gives this warning. He says, Look, I know how hard you've worked to be right. But this I have against you in verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Jesus is writing to this church. He says, I know how hard it is to be right. And being right is important. 
especially when it comes to uh, what people might claim is from the apostles, right? I mean, if people are claiming I was a witness to Jesus and I was there and Jesus was just a really good dude, what if we believe that? If people were claiming I was there and he didn't actually rise from the dead, that was just a made-up story. What if we believe that? See, when it comes to what we believe about God, it's so important to get it right. Because what if we're wrong? But the, the church of Ephesus, these people, had become so consumed with getting it right that they forgot their first love. What is that first love? Well, perhaps that first love is a love of God. If you know in the Gospels, it says this in the book of Mark, and this screen's not working, so I'm going to turn around. It's kind of flashing in and out. In the book of Mark, it says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Jesus is tested. And like, what's the most important thing? It says, this is most important. Love God with everything in you. And second, love your neighbor as yourself. This is what it's all about. Perhaps the first love for the Ephesians was actually loving God. Maybe that's what they had forgotten. They'd gotten so consumed with being right and having the right understanding and knowing the truth from the things that were false and making sure that they were not wrong. They forgot to love God. When it comes to faith, have you ever met somebody like that? They know all the right answers, but it means very little to them. They know all the things that they should be able to properly dissect and the way they can explain the Greek and maybe the things the church has said for thousands of years. They have all this information and they're not wrong, but they're not really right either. Maybe not just knowing somebody like that. Maybe that's you sometimes. Like, I know that it's good to go to church, and so I go to church. And I know that it's good to take communion, so I take communion. I I know that it's good to read my Bible, so I read my Bible whether I want to or not. But I do it just because I need to, not because it actually means anything. Jesus writes, he says, you've worked so hard to be right, but you've forgotten your first love. You've worked so hard to get it all together, you've forgotten what it's all about. But perhaps this first love wasn't just a love for God. Perhaps it was also a love for their neighbor. See, 30 years prior to this, Paul writes to the Ephesians, to the church in Ephesus, in in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul writes this, For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And he goes on to say, this is why I'm writing you. This is what I want. This is what I'm telling you. See, Paul, he writes to the church that he had planted. We learn that he planted this church in Acts 18. Paul was responsible for this church. And he writes to them 30 years before this revelation. Look, I know how much you love one another. And for this reason, I write to you today. I have something to tell you. And Paul actually warns the church to be on guard against false teachers. And they took the words of Paul so seriously that they forgot this first love. Look, this love you once had for one another, you've forgotten it. 
This love you once had to care for each other, you have forgotten it. This love you once had for God, you've forgotten it. We can focus all of our energy on being right, on learning the right things, on believing the right things, on speaking the right things. But if we focus only on being right at the expense of love, we'll always end up wrong every single time. This church was so concerned with being right, they forgot to love. Jesus warns them, remember your first love. In John chapter 13, he tells them how they're supposed to love. He tells them what that love is supposed to look like. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Can you picture that? Jesus speaking to his people saying, you should love in the exact same way that I have loved. Do we do that? Do you do that? See, for Jesus to love uh, in this kind of love, with this kind of love, for him to do that required him to know what was right and to be okay with being wrong. And I don't mean that he did wrong or that he thought wrong or that he said wrong. What I mean by that was for Jesus to love with that kind of love, he had to be okay with people thinking he was wrong. Or even worse, people wronging him. So he goes on in John chapter 15, and he, he says this, John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Look, to love as Jesus loves is to lay down your life for someone else. My wife is in the room. She can attest to you that when we get in arguments, I'm not always the best at laying down my life for her. See, to love as Jesus loves, to love in this way they were called to love, is to say, it's okay if I'm wronged. Because I love you. And I will give whatever it takes for you. Now, this doesn't mean have no boundaries, and this doesn't mean to be walked all over, though for Jesus, it certainly did. He literally gave everything up, stepped down from his throne, became a man, suffered a most brutal of deaths for you and for me. Jesus is writing to the church in Ephesus, remember your first love. It doesn't matter how right you are, if you're not loving in the process, you're wrong. We live 2,000 years removed in a world where this is still the church today. We create these reasons to segregate and separate, to say you're not right enough. We create these reasons to say you got to get it right first and then come in. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but there's a good chance that probably some of us politically in here are right, and some of us politically are left. And that doesn't mean those who are right are correct. It just means that's where they're at. And it doesn't mean those who are left are correct or wrong. It's just that's where they're at. But do you know anybody who is so concerned with being politically right and saying what they believe is true and convincing you what they think is correct that they do it without love? Or what about morally? We know what scripture says is right. And 
So we use that to build a wall against people who look different, who sin differently, who act differently, and say, your sin separates you from God, but my sin does not. And I know this because I'm right. That's what God's word says. We can be right, and in doing so, we become really wrong. This is what Jesus says to his church. Remember that first love you had? That love for one another that did not care to be right, but cared to love, as I have loved, giving everything up. Church, there's this incredible promise here. See, this promise comes in verse 7. In verse 5, he says, remember that love. Remember how far you have fallen and repent and do the works you did at first. Turn away from the things you did that were wrong, from your need to be right. Turn away from trying to convince everybody you had it all together. Begin to love and do those works of love like you once did. He says, is he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He says, look, it will be a fight to give up being right. It will be a fight to, to put love ahead of the need to be right. So he says, to the one who conquers. It's not to the one who just happens upon it. No, it is a struggle to love people when it might mean being wronged. It is a struggle to love people when it might mean people think something about us that's not true. But you and I, to the one who conquers, we get to eat of this tree of life. This tree that has leaves for the healing of all nations. This tree that God in the beginning said, if they eat of it while they're in their sin, they'll remain in their sin. So he removed them from the garden that he could rescue them from their sin and set them free and make them right with God. You and I have been made right with God. Our sins are no longer, our past does not define us. We are new creations. And because we've been made right, he invites us to be wronged. And that's okay to give up whatever it takes for those who don't yet know his love, to those who don't yet know this hope that we have. And if somebody comes against you and treats you wrongly and, and does horrible things to you or says mean things about you, that's okay. And if somebody disagrees with you theologically or politically or personally or morally, even if you're right, that's okay, because you can love them no matter what. And church, when we love in this way, we're prepared for the things God is doing and has yet to come. We're prepared for the king who is king of kings to reign not only in us, but through us, that in our love, people see his love. This is what he writes to the church in Ephesus. I know how much you've worked to be right. Now it's okay to be wronged. For the sake of love, give it up. Church, what do you need to give up today? Who have you insisted upon being right with? 
Who have you been so, so concerned that you're right, they understand your view and your thoughts, even if your thoughts are true, that you failed to love? Church, what if we collectively began to say, it's okay if we're wronged. It'll be all right. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that you gave up your son who though he'd done nothing wrong, he took the weight of all of our wrongdoings and all of our sin and all of our suffering. He bore it upon himself that we might be made right with you. We thank you for this church in Ephesus that cared about being right. And yet we thank you also for this warning. Sometimes being right is actually really wrong. God, may we choose to be a people who are not concerned with being right or being recognized as right, but may we be a people concerned with loving you first and foremost, with loving others as you have loved us, with giving all that we have and laying our lives down that other people may know your love. God, may we heed this warning and repent of the ways that we've put being right above being loving. May we seek you and find you and know you every day in your love and your grace and your kindness towards us. We pray this all in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As we continue our worship today, we're going to collect an offering. But before we collect an offering, I want to share something really exciting, something that's really encouraged me. Coming up in four weeks, so that's really soon, uh, coming up in four weeks is our annual Ugly Christmas Sweater 5K. Anybody ever run that or participated in helping with that in the past? Anybody ever showed up to church in an ugly Christmas sweater? In four weeks, you get to do both of those things, show up to church and help us with the run. Maybe. But uh, this run, one of the cool things we do with it is every single year with this run, we give 100% of the proceeds away to Second Harvest Food Bank for Kids. Uh, they, they feed kids here in East Tennessee. They help provide for those who are hungry. And we, we give 100% of the race signups. So if you sign up, all of that money is going to them. Uh, we looked it up this last week. How much have we as a church been able to give through events like this run in the past? You guys want to know? All right, go ahead and put it up there. Yeah. We have so far already been able to give almost $40,000 because of events like this race. Last year alone, we gave over $5,500. And I'm really excited because we're already ahead of pace for the number of people we have signed up to run this year compared to last year at the same time. Nearly double. I'm really excited for what that's going to look like as a fun day. Hopefully it's not snowing that day like last year. I'm really excited what that's going to look like for an after party at the Beard and Beer Market. And, and I'm really excited for those, uh, maybe like you or your business, who say, I want to help make this happen. And I want to be a sponsor of this event so that my giving can help maximize how much we give to Second Harvest to feed those who are hungry. If you or your business are interested in learning more about sponsoring, uh, come talk to me after church or send me an email at pastoradam at thepointknox.com. Um, but it's because of sponsors that we're able to give all of this away to Second Harvest. And that has me really excited. 
So today, as we give our offering, uh, we give not to get his love, but because we have it. You can give if you came prepared for physical offering in the popcorn buckets that are coming by shortly. If you filled out that Teal Connect card or you have anything that we handed you that you're not using, you want to hand back so we can recycle, you can put those in the popcorn buckets as well. And if you came prepared to give online, you can give at thepointknox.com. However you give, will you join me in worship as we continue with our offering? Every week we invite questions and we love to address them the best we can. Uh, Last week a question came in that I had no idea the answer to and Alan was nice enough to whisper what he thought was the answer. The question is why is the number four uh, symbolic of uh, creation? And Alan whispered to me that it was uh, because in the Old Testament it talks about the four corners of the earth. uh, And so it's referring to the wholeness of the earth and creation. And I looked it up, and sure enough, there's a lot of places where the number is four, four is directly tied to creation. Um, maybe this isn't, I mean, this isn't in scripture, but maybe you know this from culture even, like the four elements, right? Uh, earth, wind, fire, and water, or earth, air, fire, and water, or something. Uh, we just have a culture that has kind of historically always understood in some capacity four to be connected with creation or nature. Uh, Also in the Old Testament, uh, God was often depicted his holy presence in the shape of a cube, uh, which is perfect sides, four sides, right? Um, So that's what I got for you. I hope that helps. Uh, Next one, this one came in in the middle of the week, has nothing to do with anything theological. Somebody lost a Camelback water bottle with a bunch of stickers. Did anybody see one? If you saw one and you're like, I have a cool new water bottle, could you please return that? Uh, If you didn't see one, but you see one later, let me know. Uh, next, where does the church stand on evolution? That's a great question. We just finished a series called Meet Your Maker where we spent six weeks looking at creation and what we believe about it. Uh, if you go online to thepointknox.com, you can check out that series and that might help. Uh, my quick answer is we believe in a creator and we believe that there's after that point a lot of places of unknowns. Uh, So we do believe God created everything. It wasn't by accident. It was on purpose. And I personally believe in six days of creation, though I don't think that's essential to the story. Uh, Check it out online, thepointknox.com. Next, the second chapter mentions the tree of life, but I thought that tree was destroyed in the flood. How can it exist now? At the end of this book of Revelation, we actually see a a holy city coming down from heaven, the new heavens and new earth uh, being given to us after this great and terrible battle, which we'll talk about. Don't worry if that sounds scary. Um, And so this tree of life is in that city. So it's something God gives to us to help us later. Um, Was it destroyed or spared? I don't know. Not sure. This one's really pointed and really, really good. I think the biggest problem is uh, we try to love people as ourselves, but so many of us don't love ourselves. So maybe the problem these days is we, or everyone dislikes themselves so much, they divide on every issue. Man, that's pretty deep. It's hard to love as yourself when you don't love yourself. But that's also why Jesus says, love as I have loved. We have an example of love that is greater than any we could ever have. An example of love that gives, especially when it hurts. And that goes into this this last question. He asks us to love others as he loves us. Does this include people that have hurt us? People that wronged us in such a deep level that the pain never heals? 
Does that love he asks us to give mean that we need to forgive and forget? There's a lot there. So let me say this. Yes, his love for us means that we too should love those who've hurt us. This is why he says pray for your enemies and those who persecute you. Pray for them. Love them. It's not easy or something we can do in our own power to love those who've hurt us. That's why we gather, that we can be loved and receive his love and be reminded we're not alone. That's why we need one another all the time because we can't love those who've hurt us as he loves without it. Does this mean we need to forgive and forget? Sort of. We must forgive as we've been forgiven. We never need to forget. In Scripture, the only one who forgets sin is God. So unless you're him, it's okay to remember that you've been sinned against. What it means to forgive is to no longer hold ill will against them and to free them up to the Lord. And hopefully through that process, to actually desire blessings for them and want good to come to them. And sometimes we think about forgiveness as like a one-time thing, right? I forgave them once, six years ago, it should be done. But the problem is that pain isn't over. That pain isn't gone. So we as Christians, to love as God loves, we intentionally forgive every single time that pain comes back to the front of our hearts, the front of our minds. So God, I, I want to forgive them. And sometimes people have hurt us so deeply, we do not want to forgive them. And that's where then to love as he loves is to say, God, help me to see them the way you do. That you'd be willing to give yourself up even while they were sinful. Help me. So if you're in that place struggling to forgive somebody who has hurt you or maybe somebody who continues to hurt you, know this, it's really good to set boundaries and to say you can no longer continue to hurt me in this way. And it's also really good to talk with somebody else about your pain and say, I'm struggling to forgive and I don't know how. So don't do it alone. Find a connect group or somebody else sitting next to you, or Emily, or myself, or somebody that you can go to and say, I want to forgive, but I don't know how. Help me. And maybe through us, you'll see more of Jesus and begin to find healing. Now, with that, go ahead. Do you have something you want to say? I was going to do the, yeah. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> the impact teams. I, all right, great. Remember? Yeah, okay, I kind of do. You go okay, for it. Cool. So I just saw that like, I was like, um, wait. This is awkward. Thanks. So, uh, <laughs> no, I uh, just to follow up with that, how much God shares and shows himself to us through community um, and through each other. And community is often formed through consistency, really, even if it's awkward or hard or whatever. It's, it's formed through consistency. And I had actually the blessing, I would consider it a blessing, of growing up as a pastor's kid. So pros and cons, obviously, but um, one of the pros was that I was serving at a church basically from like the moment I could hold a pencil or do any task. Um, but there have been moments where I wasn't serving at a church, and I can say it is richer when you're when you're serving. Um, it's richer when you're invested in your church and you know it's happening. It's richer when you get to know the people you're serving with and you see them week to week, and there's consistency formed up and 
It's richer when you can see your um, time and your energy and the gifts God's given you used for the people around you, for the church, for your friends. It really is just a richer experience. Um, And so I really do encourage you to serve, to join an impact team. Um, You can see what impact teams and positions are available already on thepointknocks.com. Just push get involved and impact teams is on the drop down menu. But we also want to get to know you. So if you have a skill or a gift or just something you're interested in, we'd love to talk about how you can use that um, for, for the kingdom, for the church. Uh, it's not limited to the positions on the Internet. But uh, I, really, I just encourage you to serve because it really is it's, it's a win-win. I like these people, and I probably wouldn't know you if I wasn't serving with you. So highly recommend, 10 out of 10, great time. You can do it on the Point Knox app or thepointknox.com. <laughs> Emily and I had the joy this week of having a meeting with somebody who said, hey, I've got a bunch of talents, but there's nothing online for how to use these. Do you have need for this? And as we sat down and talked, I was like, yes, we have need for that. And she took like 10 things off my to-do list. And it's like, well, I can do that for you. It's great. <laughs> so maybe you have skills we don't currently know how to use. We will help you use those to serve God and serve others. Um, however we can. All right. Not to build this church, but because he's worth it. And so are others. Jesus, not Roger. Roger's worth it too. But I was <laughs> pointing to the cross that's over there. Both are worth it differently. Yeah. Thanks for that clarifier. So, church, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. And may he strengthen you to love even when it means being wronged. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Downtown West Cinema 8, located at 1640 Downtown West Boulevard. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.